Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The word of God says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. There are few topics in our day that will raise more emotions in a group of people than the topic of fatherhood. You'll see in your notes today just some stats from Uh, The Fatherhood Initiative, which reports that one in four children live without a biological step or adoptive father in their home. And I would share with you, your pastor was one of those children growing up. I grew up my whole life never knowing uh, my earthly father. And believe me, if you grew up like that in any way, I know the pain is tangible and real in your life. I know that often there'll be nights that you'll spend just asking why, whether it be a father or a mother that could be missing from your life. And I would tell you how over and over and over my life is a testimony to divine intervention. As if left to myself, I would have just shipwrecked this whole thing on my own. And absent fathers often leave a scar too deep for wounds, too deep for words. But I would be a fool to think that, well, if I just had whoever my father was there, that my life would have instantly been a ton better. I know of others who may have had a father who was somehow present, but there was still a barrier to real relationship, whether it was drugs or alcohol, marital unfaithfulness, passivity, emotional distance, And studies show that having a father invested in the lives of their children contributes to the substantial and in noticeable ways to a child's overall growth, development, and happiness. You'll see some secular stats there in your notes that children with absent fathers are are at four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely uh, to get pregnant as a teen, Uh, two times more likely to drop out of high school and more likely to face abuse, neglect, serve prison time, abuse alcohol and drugs, and commit crime, among other things. The stats are clear, and I think the Bible backs this up and says this, that fatherhood is a big deal. And as we look at Isaiah this morning, we're considering, we've been considering together the four names that are given to this child who was to be born. And we come to the third of these four names, right? We looked at how this child would be wonderful counselor. We looked at how he would be called mighty God. This morning we consider how he would, how he is going to be called the everlasting father. And next week we consider Prince of Peace, this child would come with a kingdom and bring light and hope and peace into a dark and dying world. And this child is the one that we're here to celebrate at this time of year, 
this child is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the everlasting Father. He was, we saw how he was the wonderful counselor who through his miraculous words and works brought comfort and salvation to the world. We saw how he was the mighty God that the baby was declared by angels to be the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, truly God and truly man. And now we consider what does it mean that Jesus is the everlasting Father? And, and if you were here two weeks ago when we looked at Jesus as mighty God, we uncovered this incredible doctrine that Christians believe in the Bible teaches called the Trinity, that God is one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. While I don't have time to rehash that whole sermon, I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, you'd be curious more about that. You can find that on our website to watch or rewatch. But I do feel I need to say that this isn't meant to some, this, this title of everlasting Father isn't meant to confuse us when we think of Jesus as the Son and Jesus as sort of a, a Father figure. Because here these names are describing the sort of work that Jesus would do, his nature, his heart, and his work that he would do. And this title uncovers one incredible truth. Your central point, you'll see in your notes. That Jesus loves us. Some of you are like, really? I came, I don't know. I know this sounds like such a simple truth, but it is so profound that I think we need to be reminded again and again and again of God's incredible love for us. Jesus is the everlasting Father, and that means He loves us. And I think sometimes we struggle to talk about the the love of God, or we think that's something so basic because we treat God's love in such a vague or soft way. We treat it in sort of this fluffy, vague, sentimental sort of way, but let me tell you, God's love is none of those things. At Christmas, God displayed what love is about by coming to be born as a baby in the middle of nowhere to grow up to live a sinless life in our place, and to die on a cross, and then to rise again from the dead. This is what love means. That he has displayed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. And it ultimately reveals four ways in which Jesus loves us. First, and you'll see this in your notes, Jesus loves us with meekness. Jesus loves us with meekness. Consider what Jesus himself said. This is in Matthew chapter 11. And if you've been in church maybe your whole life, you can skim, you, we often will skim over these verses and miss something that's so incredible. Look at this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the midst of that incredible invitation, we are tempted to miss it. Jesus invites us to come and to rest in him, but he also tells us something about himself, doesn't he? Look again, take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Isn't that incredible? You get a very glimpse into the very heart 
of Jesus. That he is gentle. Your translation may say meek and lowly. Jesus loves us from a heart that is meek and lowly. This means that his love is radically other-centered. Meekness is thought in our culture as some sort of meekness. But what weakness is, is power under control and channeled for the good of others. Let me tell you this. This means that, that Jesus isn't the type of father who is disinterested in your life while he's more concerned about the football game. He isn't consumed with the headlines of the world. He isn't too consumed with them to be concerned about you. God is radically concerned with the welfare of the world. And he is lowly, it says, or humble. He isn't arrogant. He isn't haughty. He doesn't walk around with some sort of swagger of superiority, though he is far superior to us. Just consider that he came to be born of a poor virgin girl. What humility that displays. In fact, this meekness and humility is on full display in the original nativity. How much more humble and meek could it be than God, the infinite, fully satisfied, sin-free, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, creator of the universe, coming to need to be nursed by his mother? How much more humble and meek could it be for him to have to grow up in a poor family, in a poor country, without so many modern comforts and amenities? Believe it, friends, Jesus grew up without a cell phone, without a TV, without social media, without even having indoor plumbing, or, or any sort of air conditioning in a far country. And then he would grow up and be tried and found guilty for crimes he didn't commit and be nailed to someone else's cross. And then when he would die, he would have to be buried in a borrowed tomb. It wasn't even his own. How much more meek or lowly could you get? And how much more incredible could his love be? Jesus loves us with meekness. But second, we see with this that Jesus loves us with patience. Jesus loves us with patience. He isn't just humble, friends. He is patient toward us. Consider with me 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Consider this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I truly believe this with all my heart. Jesus is patient. Your translation, if you've got an older translation, may use this, this term long-suffering. I love the picture that that has, right? He is long-suffering, wishing that people would find life. Even though you may run from him into sin, hear me, he loves you. And he's patient toward you. And he's offered life to any and all who would turn to him by faith. Jesus spoke some incredibly similar words to rebellious Israel. This is the week of his crucifixion. Look what he said to the people who were going to crucify him. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. He says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You see, he's got another parental illustration there, doesn't he? Of a hen taking care of her brood under her protection. Jesus says, this is how I have dealt with these people. And look how they're going to treat him. Rejected, reviled, spit upon, and crucified on a cross. If we needed any other further consideration of Jesus' patience, let me call you to consider Bethlehem again. Let me call you to consider that Jesus came to be born and to live, and he spent nine months in the womb of his mother. Then imagine that he's born and then he grew up and lived a fully human life. He endured the pains of life, learning to walk, experiencing puberty, crashing face to face with adulthood. Have you ever thought the fact that he didn't just appear here as an adult, do his work, and then get back to heaven as quick as he could? You ever consider that he really took his time in, in coming to be born of a virgin and live and to save us from our sins? He took his time and displayed incredible patience. He came to live in our place. He loves us with meekness. He loves us with patience. Third, Jesus loves us with faithfulness. With faithfulness. If you're curious about this, this is one of the central themes of, the, of a book in, the, in your New Testament called the book of Hebrews. And that Jesus displays his fatherlikeness by displaying his faithfulness to us. And look at this. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Look at this. Therefore, he, being Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So in other words, it's saying Jesus had to be made like you and I, fully, truly human. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or to forgive the sins of the people. Why did he descend to be born of a poor virgin girl? so that he might be able to display mercy and faithfulness as a high priest. It says, not just to forgive us of our sins, yes, but to be able to pray consistently and perfectly for your needs. Because he can say, friends, I've been there. He can say, regardless of what you've gone through, your background, whoever you are, he can say, I have been there. Look what Hebrews 4 says. Look what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Think about this. He isn't far and removed from us. He's not able to, to, to not sympathize with your needs and your weaknesses. He isn't like uh, some of us who have had uh, fathers that we've had a difficult relationship with where they're unapproachable or irritable, but rather he is merciful and faithful. Oh, the love of God. Oh, the love of our everlasting Father. And there is so much more. 
There is so much more. This Christmas season and all year long through 2020 and beyond through pandemic and a wild political season and everything else that we have endured, the Bible tells us that Jesus has stood alive in heaven as a high priest praying for his church. That he stands, the one who we pray to is also our prayer partner. It's incredible to think about. And if you're ever curious about, if you've ever wondered, what does Jesus pray for while he's our high priest in heaven praying for us and doing these things? Let me have you write this down. We don't have time to look at it a ton, but John chapter 17. If you want something just interesting to go read, what are the things Jesus asks for, for me as a believer and for his church at large? Just go look at that. That's Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. And I think that reflects what Jesus' priorities are and what he prays for you and for us that are trusting in him. We get a glimpse into the incredible beauty of the Son of God's prayer life. And the fact that he has been in heaven praying for us means there is not a moment, brothers and sisters, that he has stopped praying for you. 2 p.m. or 2 a.m., night or day. I was just woken up in the middle of the night the other night at 3.30 a.m., and I couldn't get back to bed. And I said, Lord, what do you want? And then I think, and then it hit me. I said, oh, you're wanting to apply the sermon to the preacher. <laughs> Love it when he does that, right? Where I'm like, oh, you're wanting it to really set into me that right now you have not ceased praying for, for me as your child and for this church and for your people who are trusting in you every moment. He is a faithful high priest who stands in heaven pleading before the throne of grace on our behalf. Jesus is never an absentee father. Isn't that incredible? Hebrews 13 verse 5 quotes from the Psalms and tells us that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. And this is grounded, verse 8, in the reality that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He ain't changing, friends. He ain't going anywhere. Nothing nothing that's going on here on the earth is going to throw him off. Some of us have had one heck of a year, haven't we? (laughs) But Jesus has been unfazed. He ain't going anywhere. He ain't leaving his throne. And what might be so concerning to us and so filling us with anxiety, he's like, I've got this. I've got this. Think about what we saw last week. Uh, Kenny Rager was here talking with us about the Great Commission. And Jesus told us at the very end of his commission to the church that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. Children of God, we never walk alone. And that means he isn't just with us when we come to worship, though he is here with us as we worship, but he also is with us as we leave. And as we go out into the world, wherever we go, he goes with us. Jesus has been with us through all of 2020. And even before, and he'll be with us into whatever 2021 and beyond brings us, whatever gut-wrenching suffering you have endured, he was there. And he wasn't just a passive bystander, sort of in the room, kind of just watching everything. But rather, he was present in and around your situation, working it together in incredible ways for those who love him. Some of you want to stop and ask, he's like, Matt, how is that even 
possible? How could God love me and I have endured all that I have endured? If Jesus is the everlasting Father, why do I suffer as I do? And the Bible has lots of answers to offer us, but I want to close by considering one. That like any good father, Jesus loves us with discipline. Loves us with discipline. Let me have you consider, this is one of the most incredible truths that I could leave you with today. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, and he quotes from Proverbs 3. And he talks about this idea of, of God as a father disciplining us. And look what he says here. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Jesus loves us enough to discipline us. And he loves us enough, hear me, to cause and allow even incredibly heartbreaking things into our life for our good. And he goes on to say, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, he says, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, so often we treat suffering as a reason to doubt our status as a child of God, and yet Hebrews turns it on its head and says, actually, this sort of discipline, your suffering, might actually be God reminding you of your status as a child of God. Might actually be reminding you because if, if he disciplines you, that means he loves you and you're his child. Look at verse 9 with me. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline... He says, for your good, that we might share in his holiness, that we might yield the fruit of peace and righteousness. It might not be pleasant in the moment, but God's got more than your momentary situation in mind. God's got more than your today in his agenda for your life, that you might be trained and confirmed Jesus loves you enough to make you a little uncomfortable. And to use your suffering for your good, his glory, and out of an abundance of his love and kindness. Isn't it incredible? Jesus is our everlasting father this Christmas season. He loves us with a perfect love, a love of meekness, of patience, of faithfulness, and of discipline. And I want us to close with just a couple considerations here. I think are important for us to consider. First, I think this is a note to fathers or men who are looking to be fathers one day. We're called to reflect the everlasting Father. We're called to reflect the everlasting Father. We're called to love this way. And that doesn't mean that you're ever going to love exactly as Jesus did, because none of us are perfect this side of heaven, right? But 
it does give us a target, a measure, a goal. And the application of this sermon might be to go to your children, your wife, even your whole family, and to confess your imperfections as a father and to find forgiveness both with those who you live with and with your everlasting Father in heaven. To do that and to seek to, by His help and by His grace, pursue after these things in your own life. Second, Christians, take note, this is a call for all of us. We're called to reflect Christ's likeness. We're all called to do this. Nothing brought to us here is anything other than what Christian faithfulness looks like. All of us as believers are called to model Jesus' meekness, his humble service, and his intentionality. It simply isn't an option. And can we in these uncertain times pursue and live out Christ's likeness in the world? And third, we all need to take note that we all need reconciliation with our Father in heaven. See, while God is our Father, sin always estranges. Sin takes us away from right relationship with God and leaves us on our own outside of his grace and kindness, and rather under his anger and justice. Have you ever considered the parable of the two sons? You may know it more popularly as the parable of the prodigal son. But interestingly, there's actually two sons in the parable. So often we put the emphasis on the prodigal son, and that is what the majority of the text is about. If you remember, this is in Luke 15, the parable is about a son who squanders his father's wealth, went out, rejected his father, and lived his life consumed with his own love and concerns, and he ends up starving in a pig pen, longing to be back. And Luke chapter 15, verse 17 says that the prodigal son came to himself, he runs to the father in repentance and confession of his sin, and he says, I would be willing to be taken back as a hired servant, bring me back as a maid. You'd be willing to come back that way. And look what happens. This is incredible. This is in Luke 15, in verse 20. And he went, this is the prodigal son, and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He's welcomed home with a feast and a party and a full forgiveness. And the father saw him coming from the road and ran on out. Ran on out to find him there. And friends, this could be us today. This could be you today through confessing and turning from your sin and placing faith in Jesus today. The father will meet you right where you are. And if we make the prodigal's prayer our own and trust that he is loving and full of compassion, he will meet us right where we are if we turn to him. But so often we leave the story there. People often end the parable, but the parable keeps going. 
doesn't it? Jesus has another point to make because there's a second son. This is Luke 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what those things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, These many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And is found. You see, the second son responds in such anger. And his anger led him to refuse to celebrate his brother and his father. He thought that he could somehow obey his way to this right standing with his dad. And he looked to his works rather than to the father's good pleasure and good kindness. How many of us live our life? thinking that, well, if I just work hard enough, I can earn God's acceptance. I can just work hard enough and obey well enough, read my Bible enough, come to church enough, pray enough, just do the right things and walk the right path. But the the key here is that that can't be done. By trying to earn it, the second son actually ended up rejecting it. By trying to earn it, the second son ended up rejecting it. And let me have you consider a question. Which son are you today? Which son are you today? There's an everlasting father who has displayed his love for you through being born of a virgin, through living a perfect, sinless life in your place, through dying on the cross, and being raised again from the dead to proclaim and offer victory and forgiveness for your sins. But so many of us hear that news, and we would rather try to earn our way to God, rather than trusting in what He has done for any and all, for the sinners, and and for all of us, regardless of our walk of life. Do we find ourselves like the older son, rejecting his good pleasure and making it dependent on us? Do we find ourselves, many of us, like prodigals who never have come home yet? Or will we find ourselves like the son in the parable, having come home and found that our father was waiting at the door, ready to run out down the road and meet us at the end of the gravel? Jesus is our everlasting father. He loves us with meekness, with patience, with incredible discipline and incredible love for us. He he has done everything necessary to draw us to himself. And friends, how will we respond to that in this Christmas season? As we reflect on all these things and as we try to make, try to spend time with our family and have, have, a very, have a very unique holiday, I think, for many of us. <laughs> Will we reflect on 
all that God has done for us? Will we look to all that we have tried to do? Or will we remain as many as prodigals who have simply not come to ourselves yet? I would offer you in these next moments, whoever you are, wherever you are, you can come home. Even if you've been the second son and you have been saying, I am trying to earn my way, I'm just going to work and work and work and work, you can today release that pressure and anxiety and by faith go, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We can see that baby in a manger as, as the display for us that God has done everything necessary to draw us to himself and to live in right relationship with him. Today, wherever you are, we're going to have a time where you can, you, can, you can talk in prayer to your everlasting Father and know he is ready to receive you. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to give up, a sin in your life that you know you're receiving discipline and these things in your life, and you're like, I need to let it go. You can come to him this morning and do that. Maybe you're someone who simply has gotten lost. I know what happens to me in the holiday hustle and bustle and everything, and you're like, I've just not spent time talking to him about this. This is the time you can do that and begin anew, and begin a right. And you'll find him, regardless of how far the road is home, you'll find him already there to meet you. So I'd encourage you in these next few moments, we'll have some, some music playing in just a few moments for you to reflect on these things. For you to spend time talking to your everlasting Father and to come home would be my encouragement to you as we think about Christmas and the, and the days ahead, get all of that out of your head and spend time reflecting on who he is and what he's done. Let's pray together. Father God, you are good and kind. We're so thankful that you have sent your son to love us and to give us good hope and good encouragement. I ask that in these next moments, Lord, that you by your spirit would convict us of sin, that you would bring prodigals home, bring them to themselves. But Lord, that all of us, you would awaken us to just how great your love is for us, that you have displayed your love, not in the sort of soft, vague way our world often talks about love, not in that sort of mushy, gushy movie love that's really superficial, but in a tangible, bloody cross and an empty tomb. Thank you for coming to love us and to give us a good confidence and a good hope. And in these next moments, work on your people and work on me and work on all of us to make you the focus of our hearts and our lives. As we spend time reflecting together, hear our prayer. Let me ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
if God has, has moved your hearts in these moments and you're someone who is ready to come home and you'd want to talk more, I'll be here after the service. You can also speak with maybe the person who brought you today and we would love to connect more with you. Or if you're a visitor here at Crossroads and would like to learn more, please catch me. I'll be down front and around here this morning. But I want to just close with a benediction. The Bible gives us these benedictions or these blessings for the roads as we all head out into all sorts of various places this week with with Christmas and with holidays and everything. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is such an encouragement as, as it blesses us and we'll be dismissed on this benediction. It, the Word of God says, No, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen.